that you're having a good day. This is Reverend Corey Morris. It is the 30th of March, and we're going to be talking about the first four books of the New Testament. The Gospels are the life of Jesus Christ, and I pray that this session will be informative and effective. So stick around. We're about to jump right into today's lesson. jump in. I want to make a disclaimer before I start to talk about these three or four books that we classify as the Gospels. I have a few books that I read or I have in my library that I might use as a reference whenever I might think about going to have some discussions about books of the bible or particular themes or doctrines because i don't want to just bring my views to the table i want to ensure that i am coming from a wider source than my own personal understanding and i'm going to be very honest with you books such as matthew mark luke and john this the gospels i tend to find that based off the author they vary in what they might believe the author intended they vary off what they think the key theme is and sometimes they even vary as to the very message they vary as to what christ represents in a particular gospel there's so many variations and for that reason i am going to speak but i'm not going to speak as if this is uh something that is set in stone because i have before me um three books Three books from Zondervan and they are a part of how to read the Bible what I call the how to read the Bible series but it's not a series I guess one of the writers especially the last one he probably just named his he titled his his book or his publishers because uh, most times writers don't get to, to give the book title it's a publishers it's titled how to read the Bible through the Jesus lens and it's designed by Zondervan in pretty much a similar way to the original how to read the bible for all its work that was written by garden d fee and douglas stewart now garden d fee and douglas stewart released another book sometimes later called how to read the bible book by book um their original how to read the bible for all its work i think that was written in 1981 i could be wrong um of course it kept on being republished i think i have the third edition and then they subsequently came out with one called how to read the bible book by book which was published in i think 2001 and um a follow-up to the original book and then this guy by the name of michael williams he came out with this book how to read the bible through the jesus lens in i think it's 2012 they are good books but as i said before you find them varying i have tons of books on overview of the bible and there are few of them that um completely um overlap they, they might have segments where they intersect but then each author i guess bits of his um theological background um the the church um body that he's from they might very zoom to the left or right based off what they believe so i'm going to try to stay as 
as close to what I think is a unified vision for these four books, right? And um, a unified vision that if you read it, you you will see it. Because sometimes you will read things that authors write about the Bible. And as you read it from now till tomorrow, you personally cannot encounter that particular knowledge base that they derived from their reading of the word. So I pray that this will be informative and helpful. All right. So um, we're going to start with the first book of the New Testament. And uh, I want to stay focused on these first four books. And if I swerve to the left or the right, please forgive me. Um, check back the, the channel. Uh, I might put up I might put up subsequent podcasts to deal with particular issues that I touch on. I think I did a very loose overview of the, the of Israel, and I think I'm gonna go back and probably make um, focus on some of those topics to ensure that I can get it more robust and more more focused because I think I was just going through and just having this long discourse and I'm not sure how well that went hopefully this will be a bit better so the first the first a book when we enter the New Testament is the book of Matthew now I want you to understand something as we double double and go a little back and forth Jewish people do they do not consider the New Testament as scripture right um they don't and they do not consider the the the, 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 the the writings from Genesis to Malachi as the Old Testament so they refer it is referred to as the Jewish Bible that's just the more common terminology for that collection of writing that it's a Jewish Bible and we now consider the entire thing as the Bible however as the Church of God or on the New Testament Church of God which comes under the umbrella of the Church of God worldwide we believe that the New Testament is where we derive um, doctrines in order to how we live our life so we are not deriving life principles from the Old Testament we read it, we are informed and yes we can make decisions off it but we don't think of it it's not a doctrinal thing if you read the Old Testament and you get something out of it or there are principles you derive for your life it is not something you can carry and put on somebody else and say you have to live by this principle I will not say that if you do that um, there aren't blessings that you will derive from whatever you are doing from the Old Testament. But the New Testament church does not believe that the, the Old Testament carries life principles into the New Testament. We believe that the source of our life principles or what we want to call doctrine, teachings that we apply to our life comes from the New Testament. So one might say, then why did we bother to go through all of those Old Testament books if they are not going to add to the New Testament. Now, this is my personal view. The nature of God is best seen in the Old Testament. If you want to get a, a, a um, get down with an understanding of how God deal with people, post, uh, even come when it comes on to the family of individuals in whom he had a relationship, you'd find that God is just awesome in a sense when you read his long-term plan for families like 
the, the deal that he made with Abraham and then you find that Isaac wasn't all that close to God but you know because Abraham and God was close the principle still followed with, with Isaac and Isaac is getting an encounter with Yahweh because of what happened between Abraham and God so you find that God is a generational God and the Bible does say that this God yesterday today and forever God does not change he's the same yesterday tomorrow yesterday today and forevermore so you get the concept and the idea that the nature of God if I grasp and understand the nature of God I will understand something about the character of God as I read the New Testament but in an essence we use the New Testament as a, a, a life guide and how to live our life in order to be in a meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ so I hope that I did justice I hope I did justice to the Old Testament um, or the Hebrew Bible uh, in my little discourse. So let's start with the book of Matthew. Let's start with the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is a very interesting book. Uh, it's not it's not just the start of the New Testament, but it, I think it's placed there uh, because of what it represents. And Matthew, as the first gospel, it, it, it carries with it a lot of the prophecies surrounding Jesus Christ from the Old Testament. Now, Matthew was not the first gospel to have been written. Mark, which I will look at next, was the first gospel. But I think it bridges the gap in terms of the quotations that you read in Matthew. There are a lot of Old Testament quotations. So it shows how is it that we are coming into this new set of revelation. Now, uh, I will have to say some things are surrounding Matthew as I go along. Because what is happening, when we are reading Matthew, we must always bring to mind that what is happening is taking place 400 years since Malachi. And this 400 years, there has been no general prophetic revelation to humanity. Um, there's no wild-scale prophetic utterance. Whether God is speaking to individuals about their personal life, whether God is speaking to people in that 400 years that, listen, go, plant, go, go carry your cow before wolves take it. I don't know if he's speaking to persons individually. But what we do know is that there's no nationwide prophet that rises up to bring a message to Israel for these 400 years. There's no recording of any prophet that's going to rise up between Malachi and John the Baptist who comes on the scene. I do think it's strange that they, when, when, when we read the Gospels, we do find that the Holy Ghost is speaking to people in this time frame. Uh, we know that he spoke to, I think it's one of the high priests by the name of Simeon. I could be wrong. But this gentleman who said that he would not pass until he saw the Lord's Messiah. How long he got that revelation from the Holy Ghost, I don't know. But it seems like there was a, there was a, a period, there was an intense period of silence between Malachi and Matthew. And I might put up a podcast on what, is, what took place between that. So we can get up to, go up to gear with what is happening in the New Testament. So Matthew, he's, he's going to make a lot of he's going to make a lot of statements um, about Jesus uh, uh, in his writing as he tries to prove because he has a purpose. Each one of the authors of these gospels have a different reason why they are 
they are presenting their gospel in a particular way. So let me tell you something about Matthew uh, before I go any further. Matthew, he is also known as Levi. He was one of the 12 disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was a tax collector, which would imply or which would give an understanding of why he would have been able to write uh, a gospel. Because one of the one of the prerequisites to have been a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector, was that you would have the ability to write. Because a tax collector had to he had to have his books intact. You had to be able to know that I collected from these persons. He'd write down information, write down stuff. So he would have been a scribe in a sense. He would have been a person that that you could go and expect that this man can write and people could read what he was writing and you'd be you'd have to be good at writing and keeping records of stuff so you understand that Matthew would have been perfect to, have, to write one of the gospels because he would have had that ability um prior to to becoming a disciple and even after Jesus died you'd have still had that ability which the Jewish people um would have needed in order to be employed by Rome but let me branch off and say a little bit about tax collectors since I'm on the top subject of Matthew. Now, tax collectors would have been hated by the Jewish people. And you must understand this. And uh, uh, hopefully I might do another podcast on this because this is very important. You have to understand that when Rome is occupying Palestine or Judea and Galilee and these areas, when Rome is occupying these areas, you have to realize that the soldiers are not staying there for free. When you hear about Roman soldiers and Pilate and all these people, they were not doing this for free. They were not enslaved. They were free citizens of Rome who would have been employed by the, the, the Caesar and he would be paying them, not out of his own pocket, but through his government. They would be paid as soldiers. The, the, the shields were not being made for free swords are not being made for free the accommodation of these roman soldiers would not have been for free that's why when you see there they were at the foot of the cross they were throwing dice over these garments because they need them they need the money they would have wives and children and different things so soldiers had to be paid in order for the occupation to be maintained because if there's no soldier you cannot maintain an occupation soldiers are staying there with the hope that they're going to get something out of it it's the it's a basic human need that people want things. They're not doing it for free. So in order to pay these soldiers and to also to finance Rome as an empire, what Rome would do is they would, they would tax the nations they have conquered. Now, the tax is what these tax collectors were collecting. Now, you can imagine the anger and fury of the Jewish people when their own their own citizens will be collecting tax. Basically, they would be collecting tax to help to maintain the, 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 the oppression that they would be under, the occupation, because the Jewish people are actually, in one sense, paying for their own incarceration. It would be like you are in prison and, and um, the warden or the country would send you out to work each day so that the prison can operate. So they say, go out and work and you come in, give us the money so we can pay the guards, ensure that the bars are secure, ensure that the bullets, we have bullets and all these things to keep you guys in check. Just the indignation of realizing that these people are doing this. That's why tax collectors were so hated by the Jewish people because they were actually collecting the money from their own people to pay their Roman oppression, oppressors so that they could keep the occupation going um, indefinitely. So Matthew would have been a hated person. 
and one would understand that um when Jesus took him in, Jesus was showing that even the worst amongst us. And that's why when you hear about Jesus talking about the tax collectors and the prostitutes, and you say, wow, tax collectors, I know a lot of people work at the tax office, and why God, they really, God, Jesus really, really dealing with these tax collectors. But it, it, was, it was of a different nature in that time. One of the things we also want to recognize, which I alluded to early on, is that Matthew has, I believe, and I don't think I'm mistaken, the most Old Testament quotes that, that that pointed to Jesus Christ. So if you look in Matthew, I've jotted down a few. Matthew 2 verse 6. Uh, if you turn there, you see, But Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And that is 2 verse 6. That's from Micaiah 5 verse 2. And then by the time you reach 2.18, you see a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comfort because they are no more. And that comes from, that comes from, I think this is Jeremiah 31 verse 15. But you, as you read, you'll find more of these little quotations that Matthew is placing in his gospel. And you might be wondering why. Because when Matthew was writing his gospel, he was writing his gospel to the Jewish people. Because this gospel is being written after Jesus had died and, and been resurrected and ascended into heaven. But the Jewish people to this point still, at, at, even at that point, still had not accepted Jesus as the Messiah which the Old Testament would have prophesied. So remember, every Jew or most Jews who were interested would have had access to the Old Testament and they would have been reading the scriptures and be looking for a Messiah who was to come. But even after they crucified Jesus, they were still looking. So Matthew is not writing this to his people to try to show that, hey, the prophecies that was speaking about this prophet and this king was come, it was fulfilled in Jesus. So you find that even down to even throughout his gospel he keeps pulling on these quotations from the old testament or the hebrew bible in order to support the fact that jesus christ was the messiah the, the prophesied messiah jesus christ was the person who they should be looking for after jesus nobody else is going to come because he is the one that the prophet spoke about and if you read matthew 3 verse 3 matthew 4 6 matthew 4 15 8 17 even most of the time along the line he's pulling up prophecies jesus riding into jerusalem he's pulling up some prophecy that some prophet in the in the old testament would have prophesied jesus on the cross he's pulling up some prophecy showing that jesus was the messiah so that was matthew's goal his goal was to show that jesus was the long awaited messiah and he was trying to convince the, the, the his audience that jesus fulfilled all the prophecies that were found in the Tanakh. And the Tanakh, of course, is the um, the Hebrew Bible. But for the Jewish people, it's called the Tanakh, which is the Torah, the Nevim, and the Ketavim, something along that line. Uh, um, so it's actually the Old Testament, um, the prophets, and the other writings. That's what those three things mean. I'll talk about that in another day. But that's what Matthew was about. Right, so that is basically the gospel of Matthew. In a nutshell, that, that's what he's writing his gospel to focus on. And if you look at it, Matthew also has a genealogy for Jesus. But because he's writing it to a Jewish audience, Matthew starts his genealogy with Abraham. So he starts with Abraham and brings down the genealogy down to Jesus Christ. 
and if you read Luke, you'll find that Luke kind of does it a bit different. So that is the book of Matthew in a nutshell. That's the thing that you need to know most of all, who the author is, who he was writing to, why he wrote it, and why he framed the gospel a particular way. So that is the first of the gospels. Okay, so let's have a little overview of the gospel according to Mark and try to see if we can understand Mark's importance to the gospel. Now, it's my humble opinion, and I believe scholars would agree with me that Mark is unique more so for the fact that it was the first gospel that was written. It was written by a gentleman by the name of John Mark, and if you read the book of Acts, you would find out that this is the John Mark that was the cousin, I believe, of Barnabas. And this is the same John Mark who went on the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas. And this is also the same John Mark that Paul and Barnabas got in this big quarrel about. And it actually, it's John Mark that caused Paul and Barnabas to separate. It's the same John Mark. And he, apparently, apparently he's much more of a writer than a traveling evangelist. So he embarked on writing according to Mark. Now, one of the things you can understand about the gospel according to Mark is that it is the foundation on which Matthew and Luke are written. So, Matthew used his own eyewitness account of the events and the life of Jesus Christ and he kind of used Mark's framework to build around Mark's, Mark's writing. Because theologians believe that most of the Gospels were written um, about uh, 20-something years or some a few decades after the death of Jesus Christ. So what was what was what was happening was that people were circulating the life of Jesus orally. That means they would just keep telling the story over and over and over again, and that's how it was traveling from. It was traveling along the line because we have to understand that while Jesus was alive there was no new testament this jesus was forming the narrative for the new testament through his own life after which other writers such as paul and peter and john and jude and james and whoever wrote hebrews um, they would continue to add add to create the new testament that would be years after jesus had died so what had happened is after jesus had died they were just talking about Jesus, remembering some of his sayings. People just continue to be talking about Jesus, talking about Jesus. But there wasn't really much, much, um, much in terms of a, 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 a gathering of writing surrounding Jesus' work and his life. So Mark went out and he began to pull from the oral sayings and some of the stories and he would begin to put them together. Because you can believe that after a few years, people would start to add to the story. People would add things that about Jesus that probably didn't happen, take away some of the stuff that needed to happen. And I guess they were coming to the point that they recognized that Jesus might not come as soon as they expected. In fact, I would say this. Peter would have known that Jesus would not come in his lifetime because Jesus already said that he would have lived till he was old and then he would have been crucified for the gospel. So Peter actually knew that he would not live to see Jesus come back. He would actually die before Jesus came back. So I believe after a while they said, you know what? They start putting some writings together. We're expecting Jesus to come back anytime, but we don't want people 
we want some authorized sources of the life of Jesus so people don't take away or add what was said and Mark went about and he did his stuff it is said that he Peter some of Peter's knowledge was used in the writing of the gospel according to Mark so he, he became the foundation for which Matthew as I said and Luke would have been written he also it seems would have been written to a Gentile audience and as I would allude to in Luke you'd find that when Mark is writing he also or he he explains a lot of the Jewish traditions um, a popular one that I always remember is the one where he says that the Pharisees love to wash their hands and he would go about explaining that the Pharisees what, why the Pharisees would wash their hands and that's because he was not writing to a Jewish audience because a Jew would understand why Pharisees wash their hands because they grew up in, they grew up in that um, they grew up in that culture and that environment when those things would be commonplace because it's just like in Jamaica we, we, we might not be Rastafarians but we understand some of the reason Rastafarians do some things and how they behave certain way so you would, if somebody was writing a book to us at Jamaica they wouldn't have to explain certain things you wouldn't have to explain say, okay so when he went to the shop he, he ordered the veggie chunk and he left but if I was going to write it to somebody who was not a Jamaican I would probably put a little narrative yes because Rasta don't eat pork or they don't eat meat and they don't eat salt so he was writing it to a Gentile audience so he would have to explain some of the things when you write, read it you might find some of those explanations there so that's the main thing about Mark and the fact that he, 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 he formed the basis of these three gospels which are called the synoptic gospels so that is very important for us to remember also the first three gospels are called the synoptic gospels because they have a lot of things in common um they have a lot of things in common because as i said matthew and luke they take most of of mark's writings and they add to it to create their own gospel so mark is unique in that sense and it is believed that mark wrote about jesus as the suffering servant and he, he adds a lot of that in his narrative I think most of Mark, a few chapters in, is just always pointing towards Jerusalem, which ultimately would mean the cross and the suffering of Jesus Christ. So that's what Mark is about. So when you read Mark, you can take note of a few of those things you recognize when you read Mark. A lot of the stories are repeated in Matthew and Luke because they took that information from there. So that is the gospel according. Okay, so that was the gospel according to Matthew but let's look at Mark for a minute now let's talk about Mark uh, Mark is written by John Mark he is the cousin of Barnabas and if you want to know a little bit about Mark because in in these gospels you will not you'll not find the writers or the authors of these gospels speaking much about themselves the focus is on Jesus Christ and they tend to try to make themselves invisible narrators of the life of Jesus. But if you want to read a little bit about Mark, you can turn to the, um, the book of Acts and you'll hear where you find reading about this gentleman by the name of John Mark. Um, you'd come, it is the same Mark, the same Mark. And there was this big dispute between Paul and Barnabas about the same John Mark. So we find him writing the gospel. Now, what makes Mark a bit more special is it is it is believed that mark is the first gospel that was written 
and I want to explain how that works to you. So if you get a piece sheet of paper, you can just um, place a blank sheet of paper in front of you and you can draw a draw a column and just write the word Mark in the middle of it, right? So when Mark wrote his gospel, his was the first gospel that was written and hence why it is shorter than the rest and you're going to find out why. Mark is the shortest gospel and we're going to find that Matthew and Luke, they use Mark's gospel and expanded on it to create their gospel. So Matthew would have been a tax collector, but also Matthew was also a disciple. So we find that Matthew adds his own, um, his own memory of the accounts to what Mark wrote. So you'd find that a lot of the stories in Mark, you'd see little tweaks on them when you're reading the other Gospels. So a lot of the stories repeat in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Hence, they are termed the Synoptic Gospels. So the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are termed the Synoptic Gospels because a lot of the information in Mark is transferred over to the other Gospels. And if you read them and you spend some time, you'll get to find out that a lot of the stories play back over. There might be one, one author might add something to the story, um, while the other might take away something from the story. But they are very close, apart from the fact that Matthew and Luke expand. So when I said take out the paper, you could write one column in the middle, um, or three columns, sorry three columns and then if you want to get the idea of Matthew um, you just wear mark you'd have three columns at the same height now when you put Matthew just put on a little height on that column and put Matthew's eyewitness account or Matthew's account uh, so Matthew's Matthew's account and what Mark says is what makes up Matthew when you have Luke now Luke Luke is a bit unique and I'm going to say a little bit more about Luke but you'd have what you call Q sources and um, oral tradition Q sources and oral tradition plus Mark and that's what makes up Luke right so you have three columns one in the middle would be you'd have that just write Mark the one to the, the front which would represent Matthew you'd have this, the first column which is at the same height as Mark you'd have Mark again but then you just put um, Matthew's Matthew's um, account of the events and that's how you get Matthew because they're just adding but where the sources come from is, is what is important Matthew would have been a disciple so he wouldn't have any problem to add to Mark because he, he was an eyewitness account but when we get to Luke I'm going to try to explain where it is said that Luke gets some of his information from so they are the synoptic gospels now um, Mark is writing uh, who is he writing to? It is believed by some that he could have been writing to a Jewish, um, non-Jewish audience or a more of a universal audience, right? Uh, he, he, it is believed that he is taking some of his information from Peter. And many theologians or scholars say that Mark is writing, uh, getting his information from Peter and he's writing this gospel according to Peter. As Peter is dictating to him, he's writing the gospel. So that is the main thing about Mark. It's pre he's presented presenting Jesus as the suffering servant. So his gospel helps to explain how can Jesus be the Messiah? And the Jewish people say, how can Jesus be the Messiah? And he was crucified. 
and if you want to put it in Jamaican terms, then how could he be the savior of Jamaica and the Roman Empire to steer him up like that? Now, Mark is writing to show that Jesus was, was not going to come in the first advent as a king, but he was going to come as a suffering servant who would die and raise again. So he, he goes through the narrative and he kind of ends the story um, not long after his crucifixion, he ends the story with Jesus being risen and the commission to go and take the gospel um, into the world with the evidence of speaking in tongues and all of those other things. But it's mainly surrounding his suffering. He says that most of the accounts is just focused on Jesus going to Jerusalem to be crucified and not a lot of the other things that you might find, the other stories are not there, but it's just, it's just pointing to the cross. You start... You start Mark looking at the cross, just looking at the looking at the barrel of the cross. Nothing about I'm not a lot of John the Baptist and all of those other things take take precedence in it, I think. And um, it's looking straight at the cross, and that's why they kind of present him as a suffering servant. But as you read it, you'll get that understanding. But the main thing is that it forms the framework for which the other gospels um, take 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 their lead and build upon it to create the other gospels all right so we get to the book of luke the gospel according to luke now luke was a physician and a traveling companion of paul and as i alluded to earlier luke's gospel would have been to a gentile audience but more specifically it would have been to a gentleman by the, the name of theophilus who it appears he commissioned luke to do the writings that means he was actually hired to go and try to get an account of this Jesus and this this movement, this new way that was taking the world by storm. Now, what makes Luke writing very unique is that Luke is also the author of Acts. So it is the, he he it's kind of like one writing. So even though it is Acts is split and placed after the Gospel according to John, it's really meant to be read as one whole work, and he is showing how this new movement this new way because uh, most times they really talk about they were a part of the way how this new way is now taking hold of the gentile world and where is this coming thing coming from so he would have have to have written the life of jesus christ for the gentiles to understand jesus christ so he takes up the narrative by starting with adam so he doesn't start with abraham because you would understand that people who lived in Palestine or the nations, the Gentiles around would have would probably be have would have, be, have some knowledge about Jewish people and them all linked to Abraham. So they would have already known about that. So to come and take it from Abraham, people say no about Abraham. I'm a Gentile. I don't have anything to do with Abraham. Because Abraham, the people who deal with Abraham, they stay at a specific location. They serve God in a particular way. Um, I'm a Gentile, and, and we aren't even. We, we, we don't really. We, there are some barriers that we don't cross when it comes to Jewish people. So he starts his his genealogy of Jesus from Adam. And once he starts with Adam, then basically he, he shows that Jesus is not just a Jewish Jewish king, but he's also a messiah for the world. He is a world savior, not just a savior for for Israel. So he's he's going to bring this narrative across. And this narrative, in order to fully comprehend this narrative, you'd have to have comprehension of what the book of Acts is about and, and where he the story continues. Unlike the other gospels that end with the life of Jesus, Luke is going to continue his story into 
the book of Acts and how, the, how that which was started with Jesus is now continuing with, with, his, um, with any worker who is willing to become under the umbrella of salvation is going to continue. So you can't take away Luke from, from Acts because he's writing with that purpose and a little bit of, of uh, information. If you start the book of Luke, and you skip and begin the book of Acts, you'll find that he's, he's tying it in. It's the same Theophilus that he's writing it to. So if I think if you read the first couple of chapters, not chapters, sorry, a few, the first few verses, you'll see Theophilus' name being mentioned as Luke is tying in those two, those two books. So that is the purpose of Luke. It's written to a Gentile audience. It's written to us. And many of the traditions, the Jewish traditions, that we, many of the things that we might not be familiar with, you'll find that he doesn't write them into the text because there are some things that when you read Matthew and maybe Mark or some, you, you'd see a lot of these festival things that, that would make sense to the Jewish people. And the things that are, or let me put it this way, the things that we don't understand, he would explain it. Like if, 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 the, if, the, if the Pharisees would chide Jesus about not washing hands, you'd hear a little narrative like, uh, the Pharisees love to wash their hands. Right, and they would do nothing without washing their hands. Now, if you were a Jew, you would understand that. There, so there would be no need for Matthew to put that little that little clause into it, or, or to explain that, or even some of the things. As I said before, they would they would they would they would need to explain it because um, he would know that he's expl- he's writing to a gentile audience who might not be familiar with some of the customs of the Jewish people. So that covers Luke, right? That covers the book of Luke. And we're going to go in the next minute to our final book, which is the book or the gospel according to John. Okay, we're about to get started with the gospel according to John. The, one of my favorite books of the Bible, John. It's a very easy book to read for me, along with James. Now, John, as we know, would have been John, who would have been the disciple or one of the disciples of Jesus, was a part of the inner circle. Um, Jesus would call Peter, James, and John. This is the same John who was the brother of James, the sons of Zebedee. Um, so these, he, he would have been a personal follower of Jesus Christ. It's believed that he, he wrote John after Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written. And uh, he wrote his in an effort to present Jesus as the Son of God. And in his effort to do that, you'll find that he speaks about seven miracles that Jesus performed, uh, starting with the John chapter 3, I think, with the wedding at Cana, or John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana. And he also focused on seven I am statements. So Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the resurrection, the truth, and the life. And he used a lot of I am statements. And if you're familiar with the I am statement, this is what? Uh, M-A-M-E, something along that line. Uh, it is the Greek for the same word that God presented to Moses when he was on the mountain and at, at, um, on the mountain where he encountered God and God he asked God who who should I say that to fear or that which God I should tell fear and God said I am that I am so when you read the gospel according to John when Jesus is saying that I am and in fact one time he just says before Abraham I am 
and he said he took up stones to stone him. We might not understand that, but but John is writing specifically to show that Jesus was the I am of the Old Testament or the embodiment of I am. He was the embodiment of Yahweh. He was the embodiment of Jehovah. He was walking the Son of God. And in fact, in one of the verses, the last verses of, in one of the last chapter, he says that John himself says, excuse me, John himself says that uh, I have written this so that you might believe. So he's writing this story about the central character of Jesus Christ. And he's writing it so much, so unique compared to the other three Gospels. It's just a complete different take uh, from reading the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Sometimes reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, to kind of clear your mind, you just go read something else and come back. As you see, like you're reading a lot of the stories with minor differences. But once you get into John, he is such a he's such a gifted writer uh, uh, uh the holy ghost is using him so well because some people might just say well you know we don't want to ascribe the writing of the bible to the giftedness of the the, the penman who is writing it but he he, he, he is a good he, it is written in such it is written so beautiful that it's easy to get caught up in it and uh, from the first first few lines where he's saying that um in the beginning was the word he's starting it very um poetically and um it is is are very poetic and it's just very easy to get into the writing because the writing is so rich and easy to get get into so that's that's basically the book of john he's surrounding he's really trying i wouldn't say trying god is using this book to present jesus to the world not just as the messiah not just as a suffering servant um not just one who came to seek the lost but the actual son of god and john does a spectacular spectacular job of presenting jesus in this manner because of the unique approach that john has to this gospel it, it is not considered in the same line as the matthew mark luke so it is not a part of the synoptic gospel so those first three are the synoptic john's writing is a unique take on the life of jesus christ uh, I make a clarification for what I said in the story about Luke. I must add that in Luke's writing, in 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 wait, what is this? In sorry about that. In Luke's writing, Luke not only Luke but Mark also explains some of the things that are different, uh, so that we can have an understanding of of some of the traditions so like when you talk about the, the washing the washings mark does that when he talks about the washing and um and the, the pharisees always wash often mark does that also because he he is he is he is presenting the gospel to people who are not familiar with the jewish tradition so does i just want to clear that up all right so i pray that you have a good evening and i pray that your soul will be blessed by this if you have any questions to class um, drop me a line and I'll see how best I can answer your question. So keep sweet and I pray that this brief overview as you look at the, these Gospels and you approach them, it will help you in your understanding of these Gospels. God bless you.